Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Very excited to announce today that this is going to be the first of what I hope will be many special bonus episodes that we release during the week. Very excited about our guest today. We have a fantastic interview with Michael Cohen. Michael is host of the top-rated Apple News podcast, Mea Culpa, with Michael Cohen. And he's a two-time New York Times bestselling author. His current book is Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics. He's also principal of crisis management firm Crisis X. And he's most notable for having served for many years in the Trump Organization as an executive, as well as Donald Trump's personal attorney. Michael, welcome into the back room. Thank you, Andy. Good to be here. Before we get started, we in the back room like to try to get a window into somebody's soul in a way that you know, we just haven't seen before. So he asked two questions, one at the beginning, one at the end. Real quick, simple. First one is, are you a dog or a cat person? More favorable to dog, though, to be honest with you, I don't have a pet and I have not had a pet for quite some time. Too much work? Responsibility? Way too much work. And living in, living in Manhattan, you know, I, I always find this interesting. I have friends who have big dogs and I say, a big dog should not live in Manhattan because you want that dog to run around and to play in the backyard and jump around. And in Manhattan, I don't care how big your apartment is. Right. <laughs> you know, it's good for, you know, like a snickerdoodle or, you know, or a tiny little, uh, you know, toy, you know, a toy poodle or something. Those are not real dogs, though. No, I, did I say that? I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't, I mean, oh, oh, oh. Shoot. Gonna get in trouble. My daughter's some of them are just some of them are so cute. Yeah, you can just melt from them. I have a a sixty pound dog and I have a five pound dog, but I also have a house upstate. So to your point, right? I they get to my dog loves my big dog loves being being upstate. So you and I have something in common. You grew up in Lawrence. I did far Rockaway. Ah, right around the corner. Yeah, we could have done this at the Sherwood Diner. (laughs) Nothing better than the (laughs) Sherwood Diner with a. uh, you know, either the omelets or you know, the pancakes. Cheeseburger, the cheeseburger deluxe. Yeah. I remember when my friends yeah. and I, we were like 16, 17, and you know, maybe perhaps under the influence of something at 3 o'clock in the morning, we would drive many a waitress crazy at the Sherwood Diner. I'm sure, I'm sure you did. Do you remember Cairo's restaurant? Of course. I worked there. I was a busboy there for years. Wow. Yeah. You, I probably, I may have, if you go in there with your family when you were a kid, I, might, may, have, I may have cleaned your everybody place. Everybody went there. <laughs> Sure. So uh, before we get into the craziness of politics uh, today, I want to just go back a little bit in time because you're a really interesting guy and you've had, a, obviously, a very interesting life. But what were you like as a kid? Were you always into business and politics and all the stuff that you that where you eventually went to? Or were you just, you know, what, what was young Michael Cohen like? So I was always just like just like yourself. You know, during the summers, my friends and I would go and we would paint, you know, the cabanas and the lockers over it, like Westbury Atlantic. And I didn't have to do it. My father is a head and neck, or I should say he's now retired. Uh, thank God, of course, still alive. He was a retired head and neck reconstructive surgeon. So I grew up comfortable. I would mm-hmm. never say that we were rich, but I grew up very comfortable. But I liked to work. And even as a young kid, you know, we used to always have the lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. And it used to drive me crazy when people would drive past and they're your neighbors. And, you know, we would never do that if one of the neighbor's kids were doing something. Because I'll tell you an interesting story. So I set up this lemonade stand uh, and people would just drive by. So I, I had enough of everybody driving by. So I went into the backyard and I took out two of the <laughs> two of the 
cha- of the chairs that used to sit around the wooden table. And they're kind of long. And I piled one on top of the other and I blocked the street. <laughs> so every, now you had to stop. <laughs> and we charged, it was like 50 cents a cup, or something like that. And everybody stopped. They were like, well, I don't want any. I'm like, well, then turn around and go back the other way. <laughs> and I must have been like eight, nine years old at the time. Why is that right? not shocking? <laughs> well, sure. And they were like, no, seriously, you got to move the thing. Otherwise, they're going to tell your parents. I said, well, my dad's, you know, in Brooklyn because he was uh, chief of ENT over at the Brooklyn Hospital and then Long Island College Hospital. So he's probably at work. And uh, yeah, my mom's just not going <laughs> to listen. She's just not going to care. She, <laughs> she's had enough of me too. So I said, either buy a lemonade or turn around and go the other way. Okay. The only difference so they to would that, buy the, they the, would buy the lemonade. The only difference to that the, story that I would I would have thought was that your you probably I would think you probably were selling lemonade at like nine dollars a cup. No, no, no. You have to be reasonable. You can't overcharge the market. <laughs> remember, yeah, you can just remember, stop them in the remember, middle of the street though and make them buy it. <laughs> exactly. And I like so, your style. Yeah. Sure. And so I probably raised I don't know. you know, doing it that way. But I didn't do it for myself. There were, must have been 15 kids that lived on my street. And when Tiny, and I don't know if you ever remember Tiny, the ice cream guy, because he was the, he had basically the hookup for the entire area. He would come around and you would hear the bells going off and I would buy everybody ice cream. So it wasn't that I was doing it for myself for selfish reasons. I did it so that I didn't have to go ask my parents you were you like know, a, for the money. You were like a nine-year-old John Gotti. Did you do? do did you have like a fireworks show too on the street for those no, kids? No, yeah, no, yeah, no fire. <laughs> I still have all ten fingers. <laughs> yeah, but then you know, in high school, I also with a buddy of mine named Gary, we started while I was in high school in eleventh grade. He was a year older. We started a DJ company and we hooked up with a couple of the local. We were doing so much business that we had to hire two additional. I, could you imagine we had to hire two additional DJs in order to cover it? Yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine. And all I did is I put it in the local penny saver. And it got into a little trouble because the name that we used was Party Master. And it turned out that there was a Party Master in upstate New York that claimed that we were infringing on his name. And that was after we had shirts and jackets made and so on. But the real money that I made in high school I had created around my 10th grade year a real network for scalping tickets. And you may remember on Central Avenue at the record store, Mm -hmm. this way you used to go to Ticketmaster. Well, somewhere along the line, my buddies and I were going into Manhattan, and I start talking to some guy on the train uh, who had gotten on in the Queens area. And lo and behold, by coinkydink, the guy actually worked for Ticketmaster in Madison Square Garden. Wow. So I said to him, can I make you a deal? So he goes, well, what's the deal? I said, I want to buy tickets, but I want to buy them directly from you. I want front row, dead center, which was C-section, rows one, two, three, four, and five. And I want a minimum of four tickets in each of those rows. And he did it for me. And the wow. deal was, with whatever the ticket cost, I gave him equal. So there were always two envelopes, right? <laughs> and he did it for me. You know, I made like $60,000 off of the Michael Jackson off-the-wall concert in 1984. 
Wow. I well, mean, it was crazy. I had 20 tickets each night for the Michael Jackson tour. And I don't have to tell you, that was the that was the ultimate. But then, you know, I put the money away and I ended up using uh, that money when I had gotten into the transportation industry mm -hmm. uh, post law school and so on. And I bought myself cars. Even when I was in college, a buddy of mine named Steve, I've known him since we were five years of age. We opened up a company that we called Tenco Motors and we operated it out of his father had a cemetery in Maryland. <laughs> so we opened it up there and we were importing gray market cars. Uh, in those days, <laughs> yeah, bring them in, right? They found a place, yeah, found a place in Virginia that used to do EPA, DOT, all legal. Everything was above board, you know, EPA, DOT them. And we were selling them. I bought myself a Porsche, you know. How, and and by, by like how old were you when you were doing this? When 17. Jesus. 17, yeah, and eight, eight, 17, 18. Yeah, and it was, I was always entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. to say the least. Tell me about it. I'm trying to think of what I was doing at 17. I was still trying to score a bad. You were probably weed. hanging out over at Namioka getting high. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and going to head shapes for a haircut. Remember head shapes? Sure. <laughs> I, I, no. Uh, we used to go into the city. We used to go to, uh, uh, what's the street? Astor Place. Uh -huh, right. you know, it was like 10 bucks. They used to cut your I hair still with, go a, there. with a razor. But those guys were unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was also Jimmy's out in the five mm -hmm, towns. Mm -hmm. They used to cut your hair. That's a if you didn't have time to run into the city with friends. But we were constantly, we always had a lot of girls that we knew in the city, so we would come hang out. And before we would go there, you know, we would run down to Astor Place, get ourselves a nice little haircut. You so know. you were obviously a, a very industrious young man, uh, ambitious, and uh, knew your way around a buck. And uh, that's, that's, I find that interesting because, you know, the, the public Michael Cohen that we know and we've heard and seen for the last few years, you know, tends to just be, you know, put in a certain bucket. And, you know, I, I've not seen a lot of conversation where people really go back in time and, you know, try to. Well, if you read the book Disloyal, that was my first book. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I talk about my uh, my childhood and growing up and things like that. Mm -hmm. But you're so right, because the impression that people have of me is completely inaccurate. And that's actually why I wrote the second book, you know, Revenge, and both of them, interestingly enough, uh, you know, made New York Times bestsellers. The mm -hmm. first one was number one. The second book, Revenge, is at number eight. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons why I did Revenge is because I'm so tired of listening to people turn around and tell me what they think that they know about me. Because what you think you know about me are all lies. Many of them were promoted by Donald. Many of them were promoted by the Department of Justice. Many of them were promoted by the Southern District of New York. Many were promoted by Michael Avenatti. And each and every one of them had a reason for why they were looking to discredit me. Obviously, Donald needed to discredit me so that I would never be able to testify against him in a court of law. I would not be able to, like what happened when I was testifying before the House Oversight Committee. Every single Republican turned around. They didn't ask me a single question, but they turned around and they were denigrating me. Oh, you're a, you're a criminal. You know, you're going to prison. You tax evaded. Truth be told, I did not tax evade. In fact, I, I have never, which I talk about in revenge, I have never filed a late tax return in my life. I have never not paid taxes. 
I mean, the whole thing is I've never been audited. I've never received, including what I had to plead guilty to. I never even received a letter from the IRS. I never had an agent assigned to the case, like if you made a mistake on your tax return. Now, yeah, there was a mistake. That's called a tax omission. But in all fairness, I had a CPA doing my taxes. I had 31 corporations with an 1,800-page tax return. I never did my own taxes. I don't know how to do taxes. At least I'm honest about it. I can't read a tax return, not interested in doing it. So I paid a CPA who had a specialty in many of the corporations that I had owned. But he fucked up. And then the next thing you know, what ends up happening? I sue him. And the court turns and says, no, no, you can't sue him. You pled guilty. And so your folks know the reason that I pled guilty after four and a half months post the raid, I wasn't sweating it. I was going out, hanging out with my friends, my wife, my children. I was doing my regular thing. And I didn't think about it because I couldn't even imagine what they were going to come after me with. And then on August 17th, I said to my attorney, I'm tired of waiting. It's really unfair. I'm going crazy. I want to know what they, we haven't spoken to them yet. So I force him to send a letter to them on the 17th. They contact him that night at 5 p.m. and said, you have till tomorrow to come see us. So he goes, well, let me go call my client. And I talk about this in the book, Revenge. Revenge is probably the most important book that you can read right now so that you understand exactly how close we were to losing our democracy. But I turn around and then I, and my attorney calls me and he says, well, they don't want you. It's me only. And I said, you know, that doesn't really sound normal because I never practiced criminal law. So he said to me, yeah, but at least I'll get a chance to get in front of them and see what the heck they want. Okay, no problem. He goes, on Friday, I'm at my friend's apartment with my wife. He had blown his Achilles and had surgery playing tennis. And I get a phone call from the lawyer who tells me, I need you and Laura to come see me tomorrow on Saturday at 8 a.m. I said, well, what happened to me? He goes, let's talk tomorrow. I'm like, no, no, no. I really, I said, I don't like the way this is going. Because all the time he's saying they have nothing. I've never, like I said, there's no tax evasion. There was no misrepresentation on a HELOC. I mean, that's bullshit. I had 80% equity in my home, none of it. And the HELOC application was done by the bank. So to make a long story short, (laughs) they turned around and they said to him, your client either comes in on Monday at 9 a.m. and pleads guilty, or we're filing an 80-page indictment against him and his wife. So, in essence, my allocution before Judge William H. Pauley III, who knew everything that was going on, was really nothing more than a hostage video. But I, I will say this to all of your listeners. I say it to you. If they did that to you, if they had a proverbial gun to your spouse's or your significant other's head, what would you not do in order to protect that person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maybe I, I would have laid down my life for her. Yeah, no, I look, I one of the things I do on this this podcast and I've had other Trump people. I've had uh, the Mooch. I've had Stephanie Grisham. I'm one of those people that I don't look backwards. I look forwards to me. Not like, me. You know, well, you, you're you're We're very different. I can't your, believe you're from the five towns. I'm not. I'm from Queens. I'm from Rockaway. The, the, the difference. No, I only Rockaway, mean that in the North sense North of 
you've been on TV a lot in the last couple of years, the last few years, and you've gone through all the accusations and all that stuff and all that, you know, the, the things people say about you. I wanted to focus more on who you are today and what you've been doing in the last year or two, you know, uh, the side that you're on today, the good that you're doing today, because I, to me, what anything someone does or doesn't do or was accused of in the past, I know it's different for you because it's you. But in terms of me, it's like you are on the right side right now. I don't care that you worked for Trump. I don't care that you, you know, whatever you did. I mean, look, and there's quotes where like, you know, you're telling people, uh, you know, I'm warning you, you know, tread very fucking lightly because what I'm going to do to you is going to be fucking good. I don't care. Okay, I mean, so, we all do. So, I, I've had the, lawyers. I, I hope the they way, talk that way I sometimes. Guarantee, hey, you know. I guarantee every single one of your listeners, you as well, had a rough conversation with somebody sure. throughout your prior well, life. But that's why I'm saying. What like, that, I don't. What that story, though, was about. See, it's unfair because what they do is everybody uses that same clip. You know why? Because it's the only one. But it right? also sounds so, like it sounds mobby and it's, it's good. It makes good theater. And then that's what I'm saying. That's the shit that I don't really care about. You know? But here's the problem with that. Mm. This was a reporter that reached out to Hope Hicks, sent her an email claiming that he's writing a story about Donald raping Ivana right. in the early 1990s. Mm -hmm. And that never happened. It, 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 ne it never happened. What she was referring to, because her English was like her fifth language. She wanted to be all uh, showmanzy and so on. And she was talking about emotional rape. Mm -hmm. That's what she was talking about. And that's what I was saying to him. There's no such thing as emotional rape. And then, of course, the conversation got heated. And I really felt bad for the kids. Because remember, when this all was going down, they were very young at the time. And it really impacted their lives. Mm -hmm. And now that the kids had kids, my concern was really for the grandkids, that they wouldn't look at their grandfather as a rapist. Yeah. Now, I make no statements in regard to any of the other allegations that have been brought about him. I'm only referring to this one matter with Ivana because I actually had the transcript from that divorce proceeding. So I knew exactly what he was talking about. And yeah, I had a rough conversation with him. Uh, I did apologize, mm -hmm. you know, publicly, you know, for making the inarticulate statement. But, you know, growing up, I had a friend whose mom was actually raped and it affected her terribly and it affected the family. And of course, being at that point in time, a husband, a father to a daughter, you know, as well as to a son, uh, having sisters and a mom, it, it struck a nerve mm -hmm. with me. Yeah, no, I, I, such a violent. I get all that. I, I just want to make sure that you're clear with what the point I was trying to make is that, yeah, there's been a lot of things said about you. And I, I the point of me wanting to have you on today was not to like relitigate the same things that 8 million people have tried to re to litigate with you. It was really more to talk about how like people like you and I, who are now and have been on for the last couple of years and, and a lot of other people, we're now on the same team fighting for the same things, trying to kill off Trump and Trumpism. And so for me, it's like, you know, I, I trust that you have and will continue to fight for what you need to fight for, for yourself and for your family. But just in terms of our conversation, I think it's it's more it's more important that, you know, people like you, people like, you know, Bill Kristol, whoever, people who used to be on the right are now aligned in this crazy way to fight Trump, to defeat Trump, to defeat Trumpism. And so that's it's really more important Trumpism. to me. It's really Trumpism that I'm looking to defeat. 
It's not an issue about Trump. Right. It's what he stands for. And one of the things that I did say, you'll remember, I said it to George Stephanopoulos when he was interviewing me. My first loyalty belongs to my wife, my daughter, right. my son, and my country. And I will not allow Donald Trump's, you know, I will not allow them to cast me as the villain of Donald Trump's story. Yeah, well, look, you went to prison for a lot of stuff that, you know, how did how did he how is he not still in prison? Don't don't have an answer to that. But again, I did. I went to prison and I went to prison because another man got his mushroom pecker pulled by a porn star. That's why I went. There was no tax evasion. There was no misrepresentation to a bank. You know, I even said to the judge. If there's no economic loss, because even the judge acknowledged there was I have never owed a dollar to anyone or any institution ever. So there's no economic loss. What's the crime? Mm -hmm. What's the crime? That the personal financial statement was off by 0.004%? Seriously? That's the crime? Then they hit me with the campaign finance violation. For that, I was guilty. The Stormy Daniels matter, mm -hmm. I was guilty. However, as I said in my, in my statement, I did it at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald Trump. I didn't sleep with Stormy. He did. My boss directed me to resolve it, and I kept him and Alan Weisselberg in the loop across the board. The interesting thing is I was also charged with Karen McDougal mm -hmm. with the payment of the non-disclosure agreement, the payment of $150,000 to Karen McDougal. Mm -hmm. That was David Pecker. And they took David Pecker's turn, uh, a word, they took him before the grand jury, gave him limited immunity, and charged me. Not only was it part of my prison sentence, but I got fined $50,000 for that too. And all I did is review a contract. My point being, the Department of Justice needs a complete overhaul, a complete and total overhaul. Well, it is, again, I, it, it's, you know, I'm not a lawyer and I'm, I, I haven't done 25 hours of homework on this particular stuff relating to your cases. But I can say that it is incredibly unfair that someone like you went to prison and he hasn't yet. And Andy, not once but twice. Please don't forget that. The unconstitutional remand of me back to Otisville. Could you imagine? Right. Yeah, no, I, I, it, it's, it, he has to, you know, do you think he's going to get indicted? I mean, where do you think this yes. goes? And is that yes. soon? And, and, and on what, uh, in what jurisdiction for what specific charges? Uh, I will say, I believe that there's a multitude of litigation that he has right now. Uh, I believe that New York will be, if not first, they'll be second. Uh, I believe the civil case or the, or the, It'll, it'll be a criminal case. Mm -hmm. Remember, uh, Fish James, right mm -hmm. now, the AG, mm -hmm. that's a civil matter. Right. However, she already has referred uh, the tax issue uh, to, what you call it, to the, uh, and to the Southern District of New York, right. which is now no longer operated by Jeffrey Berman, uh, who was, of course, a Trump appointee. But I believe that uh, the DA uh, will bring a case. I believe that the Mar-a-Lago document case will certainly uh, end up in an indictment. I think that's the easiest case for government to prove. I think it's a whole lot easier than January 6th, which is a million documents. And he'll just claim 
It's not what I said. Mm -hmm. And even if I did say it that way, that's not what I meant, because it's all about mens rea. It's all about the intent, the guilty mind of the individual. Right. And he's going to try to pull the same nonsense over in Georgia in the Fannie Willis mm -hmm. uh, matter with, uh, you know, Brad Raffensperger with the 17,600 votes that were allegedly stolen. I could easily see him lying straight up because that's what he does and he does so well making the claim i really believe i truly believe that i won the election not a bad they impression stole the votes. and i just took you know i used to do that to him across <laughs> the desk i'm sure he loved that when you did I that did. yeah yeah you know by the way I, not, he, to, not to digress who, who's your favorite uh trump impersonator i just got to ask you that while we're on this subject oh there's there's is a it, few is it matt friend no, there's a young kid that's out there who does a whole slew, and he'll do uh, Donald, then he'll do that's Matt uh, Mitch Friend. McConnell. That's oh, Matt Friend. He's, he's great. I've had him on this he's podcast. Amazing. He is amazing. Not only does he have the intonations down perfectly, he's got everything. He also has the rambling stupidity <laughs> down. I mean, it's amazing. You know, you start to listen to Donald, and he goes from A to Z to R to L to Q, all in a matter of a half second. And none of it makes any sense. It's complete disjointed conversation or communication. <laughs> but this guy, this kid's got it great. He's got everything. You know, when you look at the different impersonators, some focus on the voice or the mannerisms or the intonation or the rambling stupidity, but he has it all. It is unbelievable. And I love when he puts on the glasses, it pretends to be Mitch McConnell, and he pulls his chin yeah. down for that double chin. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and stuff. he's great. He does he's Bernie fantastic. Sanders well. He does Obama well. He does Howard Stern so well. He's, he's really incredible. Uh, he's really great. So speaking of Trump, I, I want to, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for a week about this guy because there's so much to talk to him about. But I want to try to do it in a lightning round kind of way. And you're a very articulate guy and you've got a lot to say. So I'm going to ask you to try to be as disciplined as possible, unless you want to give me more time today. If we can try to stick to like a short yes or no, so we can get through, because I have a bunch of questions, but is he done? Is he irrelevant done with now? what? Just, are we done with him? Is he done? Is he irrelevant now? No. No. Uh, is he as relevant as he was before? The answer to that is no, but he's still commanding like 26, 27% of the Republican Party. Right. That's an enormous number if you starts playing with how many Republicans there are. Yeah. That's like 35, 40 million people. Yeah. So we are not done with him. But worse than not being done with him, we're not done with Trumpism. And that's why I always say, be careful what you wish for. A lot of people are saying, I hope it'll be Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is like a Donald Trump 2.0. Right. So well, that, that was my next question. Is Trumpism a cult? It's definitely a cult. Okay. And I know, and trust me, I understand the cult of Trump. Better than anyone. You know, I made a statement. Why, why, do, you, why do you understand it better? Besides well, the obvious. Because I was the, well, besides the obvious, I worked for him shoulder to shoulder for over a decade, closer mm -hmm. to a decade and a half. Mm -hmm. You know, I was definitely indoctrinated. I mean, mm -hmm. the man could do no wrong, despite the fact I would see things going on at the office. Now, I want to be very clear about something, too, because this is very important. People always say, well, why didn't you leave if he was such an asshole? Mm -hmm. And I always say to people, if everyone who worked for an asshole quit, our unemployment rate would be off the charts, <laughs> all right? He was not the same person. He was not as bad because nothing that he did really mattered. It was a small myopic real mm -hmm, estate mm -hmm. company centric to New York, Florida, and a couple of other locations. We were doing, you know, building 
you know, here, there. It was, I had, you know, I was on the board. It was me, Donald, and Alan Weisselberg constituted the board of the Miss Universe. I was co-president of Trump Productions. I was having a blast. He was not always the lunatic that he's showing himself to be. We actually had, you know, some good times together. Yeah, look, I, I, I am going to be one of those people who, who say and admit that going back a bunch of years when he was putting out his books and he was Donald Trump, you know, and I didn't have issues with him. He wasn't like my on my list of top 10 human beings. But I, I there were certain qualities about him, which I'm, I'm now learning were all mythical. But uh, I admired his tenacity, his success or the perceived success. Uh, but you're right. It, it, he, you know, he's a different guy in the last few years. How he's different with his staff, which I understand is a very small staff. It's not a he likes to say he has a big company. But like from everything I've seen and heard from people who know, you know, and maybe you can speak to that for a second. But like there's not a lot of people that work for the, the Trump org itself. You know, there, there were there was quite a, a large number of people. But that's if you take the people at the golf courses that work on the golf course, like the landscapers and the stamp that's there, you put them all, but there were only 14 people that basically ran right, that's the my entire point. company. That's my and point. And that included him and the three children. Right. Okay. Next question. Yes or no? <laughs> Was there Russian collusion? No. Okay. As it relates to Donald. Okay. Will the big lie ever be revealed? By who? Just in the culture. Somehow. See, that's the problem. This is, again, and this is why we need to have conversation. These lightning rounds don't really work because the topics are so, they're so broad. Mm -hmm. Will the big lie ever be revealed? The answer is it already is revealed. My, not not my to that 25, 26%. That's, that's okay. really what I'm asking. That's the point. Yeah. That's the point. The answer no matter what this guy does, they don't care. He is their Fuhrer, their monarch, their dictator, their supreme leader. He is, he is their embodiment of, as he would like to say, of Christ. And that never changes? That, it will not change. Maybe you'll peel off some people here, some people there. Mm -hmm. But those people are so indoctrinated into the cult of Trump, they're not leaving. Mm -hmm. Is he a sociopath? Yes, he's a narcissistic sociopath. Is he anti-Semitic? Yes. Did you did you ever hear him say the N-word? No. Is he capable of love? Yes. But he's not lovable. I said this in my opening for the House Oversight. He's displayed acts of kindness, but he's not kind. Mm -hmm. He's displayed acts of generosity, but he's not generous. There's a big difference. And it's important that I made that distinction and I continue to do it. So, yeah, he could be lovable. But he doesn't have love in his heart. Mm -hmm. You're a family man. I'm a family man. I have four kids. I have two grand, three grandchildren. Does he love his kids the way you and I love no. our kids? No. Well. Okay. And, that includes and that includes Ivanka as well. Vonky's in there, too. Wow. Vonky's in there, too. Now, look. But why is that? I'm going to break always, my own uh, uh, lightning round rule here. But I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give give you a, a little follow up. time there yeah. because it's, imp it's important. So mm -hmm. to follow up on your question with my own continuation of it, I would, I'd rather die 
than allow anything bad to happen to my wife, my daughter, my son. Absolutely. I would lay my life on the line today. Mm -hmm. And that's why I actually pled guilty. Mm -hmm. All right. I was not going to put my family through pain and I was not going to let them perp walk my wife, who's the sweetest thing in the world. I was never going to let them perp walk her out. Mm -hmm. And I had 48 hours to make this decision. So you can imagine, by the way, I have one speeding ticket my whole life in 1985. I've never even had a parking ticket. So, you know, the notion that all of a sudden I'm this big fucking criminal, it's out of control. I don't drink. I don't never do drugs. The whole thing is just stupid. But Donald would sooner send Don Jr. first, Eric second, Ivanka third before himself. That would be my order, by the way. In fact, one time when we had an issue going on with the uh, district attorney, there was a question of whether or not they were going to hold Don and Ivanka criminally liable over at the Trump Soho project. And Don, Donald's comment to me, if we can make a deal that it would only have to be one of them, let it be Don, because Ivanka would never be able to handle it. Don can get along with those people. This is interesting, and I'm going to digress again. He has two other children, but no one really ever seems to speak about them. It's always Donnie, Junior, uh, Eric, and uh, uh, Ivanka. Uh, there's Baron, and then I, what's, what is Tiffany? Tiffany. What, the questions I'm asking you, do they, do they apply to all of those kids? Yes. In fact, he would send Tiffany next. And then Baron, because Baron's a child, but if Baron was 17 or 18 years old of the legal age to be held accountable, uh, he would sooner send back, he'd send Melania. He would send anyone, he'd send you before he would go. He just believes that the day starts and the day ends with him. Does he even consider, does he have any kind of paternal relationship with Baron? Like, is he like a real kid in his eyes? No, in fact, is there anything going on there? It's 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 a shame, but Baron is well taken care of by Melania mm-hmm. and by Melania's parents. Mm-hmm. That that he most certainly is. They are the four of them as thick as thieves, and Donald is just the sperm donor. All right, he said when Melania wanted to have a child, it's your kid. I don't do this parenting shit. I didn't do it with Don, Ivanka, Eric. And, you know, I'm not there. If you want to have it, it's on you. You know? And... Yeah, look, I have a good friend who, who uh, met a... He's... I'm 63, and he, he's, a, he's, I think, 73. And he met a woman a few years ago, and she wanted to have a kid. And he said, look, I'll, I'll have a kid as long as I'm grandpa. So I, I understand what you're saying. In, th- well, in that weird, sense, it might right. be... <laughs> I didn't say creepy grandpa. I said just, you know, grandpa. But no, look, I mean, you get to a certain age, and it's like kind of hard to fathom. This might be the one thing I actually understand about Trump and agree with. Like, if you, you get to a certain point in your life, it's like, uh, kids? Not more, me. More Not kids? Me. Not me. But that's you know, where being that's, a grandparent that, comes in. You get all that good, oh, juicy stuff, but then you don't... Hey, but if hypothetically you happen to be, you know, old, right, like you, and you end up needing a young girl... <laughs> Thanks. You just called me marriage. old, this guy. <laughs> you know, and you decide that you're going to have the child. That's your child. Right. And it's not the child's well, of fault course. that you're old. So yeah, once it happens, you're supposed to change the minute you see the child, of course. 
But uh, what about his grandkids? Does he have any kind of normal relationship with them? How could he? How could he? He doesn't have a normal relationship with his own children. Have you ever seen him cry? No. Does he have any normal human emotions? I've seen him laugh a couple of times, not often. But it's that weird uh, Trump but, laugh. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. It's not like a real. Right. It's not a guffaw. Yeah. <laughs> I had Mary Trump on this show and I said to her. When I think of the Trumps, all of them, I think not her. And when I think of all the Trumps, I think of like if an, if if there were aliens in another planetary system and they were coming to 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 the, the Earth and they needed to inhabit human life forms but to possess it and create diabolical evil. Like, it's like, I feel like if you open the trumps, you see like wires and like gold beer cans. It's like the Jaws shark, right? It's like, there's no heart. There's no organs. There's no, they're not, not real humans. Not true. No, it's not true. What did Mary say, if you don't mind me asking? She laughed. She, yeah. she, it's actually, it's, it's actually not really true. So what emotion, you know, what emo, what, how do they act like so real let humans? Me, so let me break, let me break it down. When it comes to Donald, 100% that's accurate. He is devoid of any emotion other than anger and hate. Don Jr. is not the same. I've seen Don Jr. cry. I've seen Ivanka cry. You know, I've never seen Eric cry, but uh, Eric is sensitive as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so the kids are not devoid of emotion. Unfortunately, What's happened is they are so starved mm -hmm. for love and attention from their father because none of them got it. Remember, when they were of age, like Don ended up going to boarding school and then, you know, he stayed there the entire the entire time until he went to college. Then the same thing happened with Eric. But at all that time, they were living with Ivana. And every now and then, like Don would say to me, if he ever wanted to go spend time on a weekend with his father, his father would take him to construction sites where he would tell him to go pick up nails that weren't bent. All right? <laughs> That's what he did. All right? He says spending time. Don used to say to me, I never want to be anything like my father. I want to have a lot of kids, mm -hmm. and I want to take them to the park and throw around the ball with them, a baseball, a football. I never did that with my dad, and I was always jealous of friends who, you know, did that with their fathers mm -hmm. and so on. Turns out, unfortunately, as a result of this with the presidential election and you know then the the presidency then again the the re the uh, you know the uh the re-election they all became their fathers mm. because it was the attention the stupider the shit that came out of their mouth the more obnoxious the more racist sexist misogynistic xenophobic homophobic islamophobic anti-semitic rants that would come out of their mouth before these crazy crowds the, the prouder the father would be well, and the more attention that they would get. So it's really a fucked up dynamic, well, to I'm, say I'm, the least. I'm happy. The most negative. It is the most negative way to teach your child of course. anything. It's like teaching your child instead of, you know, someone buys you a present, your mom buys you a present, and, you know, uh, or your sister or your brother buys you something. Instead of giving them a hug and a kiss, you know, and thank them, you punch them in the face. Well, I'm definitely happy to hear you say that about the kids because as much as I would previously have thought this is humanly impossible, you might actually have started to make me feel just a morsel of sympathy for them uh, because I don't, I don't think people do talk about them or see them in that light. And, and there is a way to look at them as children in the way you're describing 
and explaining them. And if you look at them as children who are with a parent, it doesn't matter what they've achieved in life or whether it's always that dynamic of like wanting the love of a parent. And uh, in that sense, it is kind of, it is sad that they will co-op themselves and have absolutely no core value system whatsoever, simply because they, they, they want uh, daddy's love. And so, yeah, I, I mean, uh, the, the next question I want to ask you, is he a, is he a serial philanderer? You know, or is he just too old a, to be that anymore? <laughs> I, I, I fish pink, you know, I mean, it's kind of not sexy. You know, you drop your pants and you got to take off your diaper. Yeah, you know, I, I don't see it anymore. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, look, he has three wives. He cheated on all the wives, uh, you know, despite what he'll say. Is he a philanderer? I, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, well, I don't believe that every time that he would go out, and it wasn't often, he's really a homebody. The more that he would go out, that he was hitting on women uh, and so on, it's not true. All right. Well, but, yeah, there's one. There's one flirt. area I might, I might just from my perch disagree with you on. But hey, I don't know like you do. Uh, I wanted to jump back to Junior for a second. That voice he does today. You know the voice I'm talking about. That voice. Is that his real voice? Is that how he talks? Ten- and, and I cannot tell you how many times Donald would tell him to shut the <laughs> fuck up. You're giving me a headache. He would walk in and go, Dad, I gotta tell you something, Dad. All right? And he would be like, Why the fuck are you screaming? And then he would have a bottle of bare aspirin, anything, he'd take it out, and he'd go, Why don't you just come back in an hour? He goes, It's gonna take me, it's gonna take me an hour. I, I would pay to be a fly on the wall in that moment. Did you see the tweet oh, yeah. he put out last night where his hands, uh, did you see that one? It, it is, yeah. what is happening with his hand? Is he coked up? Like, what's going on with that guy? I certainly hope not. You know, I don't want to talk about anybody's addictions or anything. It's not my place to Mm -hmm. out anybody, but I certainly hope that that's not what's happening. I will say that he has become, of the three children, the, the Ivana children, he has become the most erratic of any of them. Yeah. You know, and it's a shame. It really is, because... Well, he's bought in. He's this clearly wasn't, bought this in. Wasn't, this wasn't him. I'm telling you, this wasn't him. Mm. Yeah. Um, is uh, is there going to be a divorce in Donald's future at some point in the near future? It's listen. It's always possible. I mean, he used to make stupid comments all the time. You know, it was the other side. I've left. You know, I've left two. I could leave three. You know, he would say to young girls all the time, uh, including he said it once to my daughter. When you know, I put that in the book, Disloyal, when she was like 15 years old, you know, he turned around and he goes, you know, <laughs> if you see my number come up on your cell phone, don't answer it. Yeah. So he goes, and the saddest thing is one day I could be dating or married to one of your friends. And yeah. I was sitting there and I was like, oh, God, I wanted to throw up. You know, it's a, a, a vomitous brag when you're like, hey, I could drop this diaper for anyone. I can have yeah. my pick of women to drop this diaper for. I'm not so sure, but... Did you like the Ben Stiller impression of you on SNL? Well, I know Ben, and uh, we've talked about it. I've known him for many years. In fact, I've had him on my podcast, Mea Culpa. Uh, it's actually very funny. He, you know, I, I, I had Henry Winkler on the other day, too, and he also did an impression of me. And both of them apologized for doing it because they both actually know me. And when I, I said to Ben... 
why would you apologize? I laughed my ass off. I said, you know, you did a great job. It was funny as hell. I then turned around and I said to him, I want to, I want to just let you know that I should probably reach out to Lorne Michaels. I'm sure if he knew this, he would not have allowed the skit in its entirety to go out. You know, when Ben was doing me at the House Oversight Committee and I'm looking around trying to see who's speaking, the reason why is because the room is, it's oval. And so the sound mm. whips around and it's harder for me <laughs> to hear because I'm deaf in my left ear. Mm, so I have very limited hearing in my left ear. And so everything comes in on the right side. So there wasn't a light that was flashing oh, or the person doesn't wow. stand up. So you could see, so I had to look to see who was speaking and try to figure out Republican or Democrat simply by the first line that came out of their mouth. If they said something about me being a scumbag and a, a felon, so I knew it's a Republican, so I knew they were on the left side. That's why I was looking. So Ben was like, oh my God, don't tell, don't do that. Don't call Lauren, he'll freak out. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll sue him on the Americans with Disabilities Act. So he goes, he goes, no, you're not. I'm like, oh, come on. But Ben's a great guy. His wife is fantastic, beautiful children. He's a wonderful actor. He's an incredible director, producer. He's just an all around great guy. And I was not insulted by that at no, all. No, it should, it's, I guess most people are honored when they get to, to be, uh, you know. Uh, I want to host Saturday Night yeah. Live. Maybe you will. Did, when Trump, what did okay. Trump, Trump must have hated, but right, he definitely, hey, I read about that. Like he hated the Alec Baldwin stuff, right? Yeah, he doesn't like Alec Baldwin, which is why he calls him, you know, a, a, a CD rated celebrity, you know, and then of course Saturday Night Live isn't funny anymore. And so on and so forth. Well, how would you know if it's funny or not? Right. You're clearly watching it. So is he, right. I mean, well, this is a good question. So I want to ask you, is he stupid? Is he a stupid man? Because yes. he says stupid things like that. Yes. Like he'll say something like that thing last night on SNL. That was horrible. And I never watch SNL. Like you just said you saw it. Like what either you're yeah. stupid or or you think we're stupid. Like and and or, or, or a both. combination of both. Right. What, what do you think about uh, uh, Pence and Pence running and Trump running? And like, what do you think of 24? What, what's your quick analysis yeah, of that? So it's, it's definitively not going to be Trump. Uh, I stand by my earlier statements. Mm -hmm. the, the filing of the presidential document, it's a one page or two page document. It means absolutely nothing. And I say that because think about it. Since he made the announcement, there hasn't been a single rally mm -hmm. other than him making money, right, with his NFTs and other stuff like that. There hasn't been a campaign manager. Mm -hmm. There's no there's no staff. There's no office. There's no anything. I don't think he's left Mar-a-Lago. Has he left Mar-a-Lago? He hasn't left Mar-a-Lago. Well, he does. I think actually he may even be in New York right now because he has to. he's being deposed or something by the attorney general, I think, today. But no, he predominantly hangs out there. And why? Because you have a whole slew of people who are similarly situated, wealthy people, right, who for some unknown reason, despite the fact that many of them are actually very bright in their field, they must be, there's several of them are mega billionaires, uh, but real billionaires, they kiss his ass like you can't imagine. It's the craziest thing. So there I am. I'm with him at Mar-a-Lago. We're sitting down for dinner. I brought this gentleman to have 
It was three of us having dinner. And when he comes in, everybody stands up and, and the applause and they're Mr. President, Mr. President. And they all have, you know, they all have their, their cell phones out and they're videotaping. You're videotaping the Goodyear blimp coming in to sit down in an area that's stanchioned off with purple, you know, with that red purplish rope, all right, <laughs> around the table. And it's guarded on both sides, the whole nine yards. And he sits there, and as he's walking in, he's got the whole thing down. He's pointing to you, pointing to you. And then all of a sudden, people are like, oh, my God, he just pointed to me. He pointed to me. And you scratch your head, and you say, you stupid, stupid asshole. You realize that you could burn his money and still have enough billions to last generations upon generations. But they, they kiss his ass as if it's, you know, like... Jesus came down well, from the heaven there, and he pointed at you there, and a bolt of lightning came out. They're like 15-year-old girls at a Harry Styles concert. You know, my daughter was like, he pointed at me. I'm like, no, he didn't point at you. But these people are really pointing at Like, he pointed at me. Oh, my God, Donald Trump. Which, this is the There's one 70, question. 80 people that are there. So this what's is, the difference? This is the one question I, I still can't find the answer to that is acceptable to me. You teased it a little bit before. And I've heard you speak about this before, about being indoctrinated. But what makes so many smart, wealthy, successful people have this fealty where they literally, like Rick uh, uh, Wilson says, like they'll walk into the everything Trump touches dies bucket like with him. Like what makes people just become like fucking mindless sheep that will throw everything away for this guy who would not give one iota of loyalty in return? You know, there are certain people that are out there that have a charisma, whatever it might be that creates that, that have the ability to be cult leaders. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be a cult leader, and I suspect you couldn't either. No way. But then you have people like Jim Jones. How the hell do you get people drink. to drink Kool-Aid, right, that's poisoned, because you're all going to die together. Yeah. Oh, we're going to die? Right. Oh, okay. Like, who? Oh, right. I'm with you 100%. Or or, or um, what was a uh, moon, the Moonies, right. right? The same thing. Or this Navixum. Mm -hmm. uh, could you imagine you're going to let somebody brand you? Fuck, is this Yellowstone? <laughs> you know, you I'm, I'm binge watching that. that right now. It's the best show oh, ever. By the way, so that, and beside the other two, 1923, 1893, they're all fabulous. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, fantastic storyline mm -hmm. and each and every one of them. From Kevin Costner, mm -hmm. you know, all the way to uh, yeah, to Harrison Ford. There, each and every one of them are just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Every character there is fantastic, but they're branding you. Who would let somebody brand you, right? I mean, it's crazy, but they do it. And in order to remain in Trump's inner circle, you have to buy into the bullshit. So, for example, right? I don't consider myself to be stupid. Uh, you walk into the building at work. It's called Trump Tower. And you get into the front where the elevators are, the Trump elevator banks. And you get in and there's Trump written all over it. As soon as you get up, I was on the 26th floor, you walk out, there's the Trump organization in big gigantic letters all the way across the wall. And then of course, there's pictures of Donald everywhere. And if you're thirsty, you go and you grab a Trump ice. Or if you're hungry, you go downstairs to the Trump bar right? Or to, you know, the Trump, the Trump grill in order to grab something to eat. It's Trump, 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 Trump 24-7. This is how you get indoctrinated. And he creates 
And I fell for this. And that's why I got in trouble with what was referred to as lying to Congress, even though the lie was so stupid that it was irrelevant. He'll tell you what he wants to hear, which is why every Republican, the House Oversight Committee, all said the same thing, because they received the air sheet on what words Donald Trump wants you to use. So when you're sitting there and he would bring people into the office, you already knew the game that you were going to be playing. Whatever he said, you have to follow along. Otherwise, the anger, the visceral, the, the screaming, it, it, it makes you almost want to stick your head up your ass and die, right? I mean, it's like you, it's the worst thing in the world. And he'll do it in front of people, which makes it 10 times worse. Mm-hmm. I watched him do it to Don Jr. I talk about it in the books. You know, it's really horrific. And so if you cannot be a part of the cult, you can't make it there. Mm-hmm. And the longer that you're in, the higher up the cult you become. Mm-hmm. And that's the story. When you look Until back, ultimately, you lose yourself. Yeah. Well, when you look and back, why people join it, why people even allow it. You know, my wife, I, I talk about this in both the books as well. My wife, my children, they all said to me, what are you doing? Why are you working for him? Why don't you quit? I didn't need to work. I retired. I was 39 years of age. I didn't have to work another day in my life. I'm not like what people say, oh, fuck you, Michael. You know, Donald paid for your life. He made you who you are. What are you, out of your mind? I retired at 39. The only reason I can go to work for Trump is because I had income coming in, passive income coming in from other sources. Mm-hmm. I was the second richest guy in the office to Trump. I mean, it's, it was bullshit. I'm not a rags to riches story. I was a riches to rags story. <laughs> I lost everything because of him. Yeah, I, and when you look back on all those years, and it, it's interesting to hear you talk about it, and, and you know, it's, I, I try not to judge people because shit happens in life, and you get caught up in shit, and for whatever reasons, and power, you know, people get proximity to power that's corrupting and you start to change your core values and celebrity, all that celebrity celebrity fame, and i i do see him as charming i do see him as highly charismatic i had used to have arguments with a old ex of mine that was like he's a genius he's an evil genius but he's a genius and i could see how you get caught up in that and the higher you go up the chain you, you get more of the spoils and all that and and so uh but when you look back on those years do you ever like just stop and go what the f- fuck was I thinking like or or did you know what you were thinking and you just no. you didn't you didn't, you were thinking differently than the way you see it now when you look at it so like I was saying to you people join the cult of Trump for many different reasons and whatever the reason is it's personal to you so for examples for me when I was prior to working for Trump when I was 39 I blew a series of pulmonary embolists and I almost died. I was in ICU. It was touch and go for like 48 hours. It was very, very bad. Lung shut down. You know, it, and it came out of nowhere. I was in the best shape of my life and it came out of nowhere. I was always a deal junkie, as I explained to you at the beginning mm-hmm. of your show. I've always been active. Being, you know, sedentary is, for me, the worst thing in the world which is why the 51 days of solitary confinement makes you batshit crazy. You know, I like the action. So for me, there was the fame part of it. 
there was the power part of it. I mean, I was at the top of the food chain mm-hmm. at this company, mm-hmm. which had a lot of spoils and perks that I shared with a lot of family and friends. And I was also coming off of a year, actually it was more like 14 months of Humidin and Lovinox and basically not being able to do much, you know, because of these pulmonary embolists. And then he offers me the job. And then that's when I turn around, I was like, oh, good, the excitement will be back. So what I was missing in my life, I would probably characterize as the excitement, the art of the deal, Mm -hmm. right, being a deal junkie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, look, I I, I understand it. And it's, you know, there's people who drink, there's people who gamble, there's people who get caught up in things that largely for the same reasons, it brings them some kind of escapism or opportunity or excitement or whatever. And look, I just want to say that I'm glad that, you know, we're sitting on the right side of the table these days. You and I, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but like you were one of the first uh, Trump people that blocked me on Twitter. Uh, I did. I unblocked you the other day. <laughs> yeah, by I, I noticed. And uh, uh, and uh, and the Trump family blocked me, whatever. But it, it 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 does say something, I think, about in some crazy, ironic way that he Trump in not his intention, but he he did serve to unite and align people you never thought would ever be on the same side. And, and that that might be the one legacy that he has, unintentional legacy but that people like you and me and Rick Wilson and Bill Crystal and Nicole Wallace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And David Korn. And, the list you goes know, on I, and on and yeah, on. The list know? goes on and on. I followed yeah. you, by the way. You should follow me back. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, but did you know that I was the guy who tweeted that thing that went viral a few years ago about Melania and Don? Remember, there was a whole big thing where she liked a tweet uh, I had tweeted, you know, remember when, I think it was at the inauguration where she was standing behind him and he turned around and she smiled. And then when he turned back, she was like scowling at him. Well, I tweeted that video and I said, the only, looks like the only wall that Donald has built is the one between him and Melania. And it went, she, she liked that tweet and it went, oh. it blew up. And it was funny because I was talking to Stephanie Grisham about it and she remembers it because Melania took it down uh, like 40 minutes later or whatever. And then for like, for like two days, it was everywhere. But uh, it's just interesting how time passes and perspective. Look, Stephanie Grisham was knee-deep into the cult herself, mm-hmm. all right? You know, we all extricated ourselves from the cult of Trump mm-hmm. in various different ways. I didn't extricate myself. I got thrown under the bus, and it was actually the prison time that extricated mm-hmm. me from the, from the cult. Stephanie, I'd be, be to ask her, you know, what what was it that extricated her, right? Was it the writing of a book? Was it, you know, the fact that she was no longer going to be employed in the White House and she wanted to rebuild her reputation, her name, her honor, right? Something that we see Bill Barr trying to do. All of a sudden, you got Bill Barr sits there, that fat fuck, you know? <laughs> oh, I told Donald that you lost the election. And, so, and then all of a sudden, oh, well, way to go, way to go, Bill, you piece of shit, right? <laughs> why don't you come clean? And why don't you say all the shit that you did, not just to me, but to everybody? 
because Bill Barr was right there yeah. with him. Well, right? that's, he that's was never going to happen. He was like Adolf Hitler's Himmler, yeah. right? I mean, he was right there, you know, with him doing things that are so destructive to democracy, like, right, impinging on somebody's constitutional right and ensuring that that person gets locked up because they're a critic. Yeah, no, That's he's an awful human being. But, you know, to me, again, it, it, it harkens back to the, the point I was making earlier about, you know, and, and I often make an analogy. It's like if you if your house is robbed on a Monday and they take everything and they, they even punch your kid in the face and then they leave and you, you survive that. And then four days later, you're in a dark alley getting the shit kicked out of you by four guys. And all of a sudden this robber comes by and he's like, I'll help you. In that moment, do you turn the help away or just say, you know what? I'll, I'm glad to have you on my side now. And that's, it's, a t it's a very tough decision and a place to be because you're right. There are certain people that, that, whether it's opportunism or whatever, they were in a certain place. But I, I, I try to choose to say, okay, you know what? We've had the worst threat to this country's democracy ever. Whoever lines up with me and tries to fight the right fight, I'm willing to sort of overlook no, not me. You know? Not me on that, Andy, because it has to be for the right reason. <clears throat> you can't, like, no matter what Bill Barr would ever say, unless he's going to come out and do what I did. You know, people think that I only spoke to Congress that one time that you saw me live uh, before the House Oversight Committee with the Honorable Elijah Cummings, God rest his soul. I did seven others, equal in terms of length of time. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I literally spoke before Congress eight times for like 70 plus hours, right? You know, and provided tons of information, whatever they asked for. If I knew the answer, I gave the honest answer. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't believe that Donald beats up on Melania. They asked about that, you know, did he beat her up once in an elevator? You know, and is there a tape? There's, I never, I, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And in with the P tape, it doesn't exist. And I'm like, well, how could you be so sure? Because if it existed, I promise you I would have owned it, <laughs> right? You know, you know, I promise I believe you that, that I would have owned it. I believe that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll end yeah. on that note because that, that, is, that is a truth. Uh, again, Michael, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, I think this was an, a really interesting conversation. I hope you'll come back at some point. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you've done to, to fight against Trump and Trumpism and uh, keep doing it. Yeah, and I promise I won't block you again. Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> oh, actually, I forgot. We, we have to get to our second window into the soul question. Music. Give me your top five musical artists of all time. Oh, wow. You know, I wish I could do that, but I'm not. I, I know every song. I just don't know who sings anything. I mean, obviously, I like Elton John. I like Ed Sheeran. Mm -hmm. uh, I like Billy Joel. Uh, you know, I like Bruce Springsteen, you know. Okay. But I yep. like Adele. You That's know, it. I like Celine Dion. There okay. you go. There's six. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll end on that <laughs> note. <laughs> Take care, Michael. Good to chat. All right. You be well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it. Episode 33 in the can. And I hope you enjoyed this uh, special backroom episode. I'm going to try to get more to you. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And please leave a review if you like the pod. Reviews are important. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, 
Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again for the very interesting, very entertaining Michael Cohen. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.